Howdy folks, this is Dan Gross, and welcome to Extended Harmony for Outside In Music. Outside In Music is a record label and a media company that connects jazz artists with their passionate fan bases. Please visit us at our website, outsideinmusic.com, where you can see our artists, their recent releases, our podcasts, video interviews, and links to get in touch with us. Extended Harmony, what you're listening to right now, is a monthly podcast that features musicians in the jazz, blues, and soul umbrella who create original music. We discuss their lives, influences, their creative processes, and some advice they'd like to pass along. And a special thank you to Rochester's Jazz 90.1 for letting me use their space today, and you'll see that in a moment. Joining us today is Mary Halverson. Based in New York, Mary is one of the foremost voices in avant-garde jazz. Her compositions and playing are instantly recognizable, and she has many projects and bands, many of which she leads and has released an incredible amount of music since her move to New York in 2002. Mary, a guitarist herself, is coming out with a new album and a new project, Code Girl, this week, and we have the pleasure of talking to her about it. Thanks for tuning in, and please enjoy this episode of Extended Harmony. Mary, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me. Uh, the one, th- I mean, th- there's so much we want to talk to you about, and thank you so much for coming on. We, we Again, we appreciate it. Um, we've been in New York since 2002, but can you tell us where you are from originally? Um, I am from the Boston area, more specifically from the town of Brookline, Massachusetts, or most of my childhood was spent in, in Brookline, Massachusetts. And somehow you completely avoided the accent. <laughs> well, uh, my mom ha- has the accent. Ah, uh, got it. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I guess I did. If, if I have too many drinks, it starts to come out a little bit. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, good for you. We, we're not going to test that hypothesis uh, today. Uh, so let's just kind of talk about your early, you know, like your kind of early days in music, uh, was guitar your first instrument? If, if so, what, when did you start playing it? Um, it was actually not my first instrument. My first instrument was violin, hmm. um, which I started when I was about seven. Um, yeah, basically got a little bored with it, but still wanted to do music. So I decided to pick up the guitar and I was probably about 11 years old when I, when I made that switch. Right. You needed two more strings. Exactly. <laughs> so, so what drew you to the guitar? Mostly Jimi Hendrix. Mm. I think I wanted to play rock. I didn't want to play classical, and I, I had gotten into Jimi Hendrix around that time, and guitar just seemed cool. Well, and I was going to say, guitar yeah, is very I cool. <laughs> yeah. And I think we all had, have a Jimi Hendrix face, too. So um, obviously you don't <laughs> play a lot, lot of Jimi Hendrix nowadays, or at least you, you might, but you know w- w- you, you don't advertise it too much if you do. Um, right. <laughs> you know, you're, we'll sort of talk about the development of your the avant-garde jazz stuff and some of the, the newer stuff you do, but, but what drew you to jazz originally? I mean, I know you got in because of Hendrix, but, but what drew you to start mm-hmm. playing jazz? Well, my dad had a, a really nice jazz record collection. Mm. So... I was checking out Miles Davis, John Coltrane, Thelonious Monk. Those are probably the first jazz musicians I heard. Mm. Um, And the guitar teacher that I studied with um, at the end of grade school and all the way through high school was a jazz guitarist. So he kind of started teaching me jazz. So it wasn't that I was drawn to jazz immediately. It was more that I was around it and I was being taught uh, standards and 
the more I learned it, the more interested I became. So it was sort of a gradual um, falling into it. Mm-hmm. Now, did you uh, go to any formal? I mean, you mentioned a guitar teacher, but did you go to university for music as well? Um, I did, in a sense. I went to Wesleyan University, which is a liberal arts school, but I majored in music there and um, studied there. And I also did a year at the new school, the jazz school. Mm. in new york uh so let's kind of one of the things i think that is amazing about what you do is that both your playing and your compositions are instantly recognizable and this is something i've been trying to explore with a lot of musicians is it's i know it is it's a bit of a hard thing to directly identify and say okay this is where i got this or this is where i got this but how did you start developing your own sound and was there ever a moment where you were kind of thinking to yourself wow this sounds like me this is a sound that i'm making that i'm identifying with and i want to keep exploring yeah it's a a complicated question Mm. i mean the first thing i'll say is that i'm I'm always working on Mm. developing a sound so i think that's sort of a a lifelong process Mm -hmm. um but i think the main reason that i became motivated to do that is because I had teachers who really pushed me to do that when I was younger. Mm. Um, and then the main people I'm talking about are Anthony Braxton and Joe Morris. Um, so I, I think, you know, that's, that's really huge. You know, if I had a teacher telling me to try to play and sound exactly like Jim Hall, maybe I would have <laughs> tried to do that more. And, and, you know, or maybe not, I don't know, but I think the, I, I was lucky to have teachers that, you know, pushed me to, to learn traditions, but also really pushed me to try to step outside of them and experiment and, and things like that. Was uh, composition and arranging a part of that as well when you were first starting off? Like, you know, when you were first learning about everything? I guess I've, I've always composed a little bit. I wouldn't hmm. say it's a, it was a big part of my music education, um, but I, I think I always thought of composing just as, as part of working on music. So I would, I would be practicing, I would be um, writing tunes. I think my composing has probably gotten more involved over the years, and I probably do it more than I did, but but I was composing, you know, maybe in high school, I can't really remember, but definitely as early as college, I always really enjoyed, you know, trying to write tunes for my bands and things like that. So let's, I, this is another big question here, but I do want to explore your composition and arranging process. And you, you have, and we can talk about this a little bit more. Thankfully, this is a video podcast, so I don't have to take two minutes and run down every project you're currently playing in or have <laughs> played in since the move to New York. But yeah, it's a lot. And you've managed to, yeah, each group both has a, a really great element of saying, okay, this is Mary. There's a level of consistency, but it's also each project is a little bit different. So when you're approaching writing new material for a new project, uh, what, what's, take us a little inside your process for composing and arranging music as it comes to, like, as you're doing something for a different project each time. Um, well, I guess that's, that's the first thing, is that when I compose, it's almost always project-specific. Mm. So I don't sit down to write something and then after I've finished writing, think, oh, this would work well for my octet. You know, I don't do that. I, I basically, so I, when I sit down to compose, I usually have a pretty clear idea of what I'm composing for. Hmm. Um, so, and, and that kind of helps me be able to come up with an idea or envision what I want to do. Mm-hmm. You know, so for example, if I, if I was writing for my octet, 
um, I'm, I'm thinking about those specific musicians and I'm, I'm thinking about the band. Um, and then I just go from there without any pre-existing idea about structure or anything like that. So it's a, I think it's a pretty improvisational way of composing because I, I do think of composition and improvisation as, as very related. So I'll basically just imp improvise on guitar until I play something that I feel could be a seed for a composition. Right. Um, so that, that could be anything. It could be a, a melody part. It could be a bass line. It could be a, a couple of chords. Um, and, and then once I get an idea, I'll mm -hmm. just go with it and write very quickly and then kind of um, fill it out, you know, so add, layer it, add parts. Um, right. And I'll, I'll try to do that without thinking too much, just go. And then once I'm done with that, then I'll go back and fine tune it and, and kind of polish it a little bit. But, but I try to really kind of do it without thinking all that much about what I'm doing. Right. And because Which you're... Which is why the pieces often end up in, in a kind of different place than they start. <laughs> well, development's important. I think it was um, Steve Swallow in... in uh, I'm blanking on what which book of his it is but was was talking about how jazz is sort of the it, it's a lot so much of jazz is spontaneous composition it's development it, that's what mm -hmm. soloing is mm -hmm. you know it's you're not just right. i mean you there there's a a sense of pulling out of thin air but it's all based on what you know based upon the general idioms of the music and i want to explore this a little bit more so when when you're composing do you have an uh, are you kind of sitting down and say okay I am working on this piece for my duo project, Secret Keeper, with Stefan Krupp on bass, or, mm -hmm. you know, for like for Code Girl. Did that rep come mm -hmm. out because, say, you had this lineup that you really liked, and then you wrote for that lineup, or sometimes when you're composing, you say, oh, you know what, this is more suited to a different project. You have to put yourself in the mindset of each project each time. Is there stuff you save for later? Yeah, I pretty much, I think I pretty much always decide which project I'm, I'm going for. Mm. Um, so, and, and with the case of Code Girl, it's a little bit of a different process because I wrote lyrics. Um, Whoa, big so step. That, it's, it's <laughs> but with that, it's very clear, you know, because I have the lyrics and right. the lyrics come first. So I'll write mm. the lyrics and then I, I know I'm composing for that band and I have the set of lyrics and I, I'll compose the music around the lyrics. Very so cool. I'm trying to fit the music to fit the lyrics as opposed to vice versa. Right, and and we'll talk a little bit more about Code Girls. We uh, move along in the interview, and th this is a sort of a big picture question. We're, we're talking a lot about all of the things you do and how you have to almost code switch between playing in different ensembles and writing in different ensembles. Looking at your website and seeing how many, uh, d the dozens of albums you've recorded and all of the groups you're in, groups you're in, it's all the records are on so many different labels. The bands are, you know, have a really wide mix of musicians. There are some you regularly play with more. Uh, but, but why, why do it this way? What about doing all of these groups and having all these different projects appeals to you as a musician? And, and what are you getting out of operating that way? I think I'm, for me, it keeps life interesting and it also keeps me growing and developing. Yeah. I, I do think, I think it's a big part of how I learn. Right. It's working with different musicians that inspire me and, you know, trying to figure out how to interpret their music or 
you, you learn a lot from all these different things. So I think for me, it, I wouldn't want to be doing only the same group all the time. I really enjoy the variety. Um, and I think it also probably seems more overwhelming than it is because in reality, like not, not all those groups are working all the time, you know? Right. I was going to say, like cause this month, Go ahead. this month alone, I'm probably only doing like two groups, you know? So it's like you, you have the music and you refresh what you need to learn when the gig's coming up. And so right. it's, I think it seems crazier than it is. I think it's probably, I think most musicians these days kind of have that, that type of thing where you're, you know, it's like the ultimate freelance thing. Like you're doing a, a billion different things. Um, oh, Mary, I, I, I can it. relate. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, then, so the other thing I wanted to, I wanted to pick your brain on is um, you had the opportunity to go on NPR's Tiny Desk in, in its much earlier stages. It looks very different mm -hmm. now. And you were on with the Mary Halverson Quintet. Can you tell us about that experience? Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, it, was, it was such a cool experience, and I remember it well, um, even though it was several years ago. Um, but yeah, we just went in there. I, I mean, it's, it's it's such a nice vibe. You know, it's just everybody that works in the office is kind of standing around listening, and it, it feels very casual. Um, and I think because of that, some interesting things happen that, that might not happen in a normal concert setting. You know, it's often very stripped down, too. It's not like you're mic'd up, and a lot of people only have, you know, partial setups. I don't even think there was a full drum set or anything like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, lo I love that series, too. I like watching uh, the Tiny Desk concerts, and that yeah, was a lot of fun. Well, I'm, I'm glad to hear that it's fun. Because, I mean, not that it looks mm -hmm. stressful, but, you know, sometimes sometimes you can't tell. Uh, before we get into our <laughs> discussion of, of Code Girl, I, I do want to touch upon uh, one of your more recent projects. Um, Paymon, Hall Mary Halverson Quartet plays Masada Book Two. And if this was this is based on one of uh, John Zorn's project, Masada, where he really taps in to his Jewish heritage and he's mixing a lot of uh, Jewish and Hebrew music into what he's doing. And first of all, I, I want to ask you about what led you to pick the rep for this album. And then as a follow-up mm -hmm. to that, he, John was also a producer on the album. And I, I, I really enjoy the album. And I remember looking through the liner notes and thinking, my God, this person is playing the rep that by this person and this person is the producer. So <laughs> what was it? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how it works. He has a whole series of these albums. Mm -hmm. So, the, the one that I did with my quartet. So basically, you know, Zorn wrote all the Masada music, which, by the way, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. I've been a mm -hmm. huge fan of Masada since I was a teenager. So it was, it was really amazing to get to play that music. But he, he'll approach a group and, and ask, you know, do you want to record it? And then, you know, he gave me the tunes. I learned them. And it, it was, I was really working with him. You know, I, I would um, try to come up with arrangements and meet with the band. But he also had a lot of input, which is great. Um, and that, the one I did, I think was volume 32 of book two, which means there's been 32 of these, um, records with different bands playing Masada book two. And now he's, um, he's done Masada book three as well. So, I mean, he, he's, it's amazing. He's like probably one of the most prolific musicians, composers I've, I've ever met. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. I mean, I, I, I don't want to say this to take anything away from him but if anyone is listening and unfamiliar with this this repertoire the original songs are short it's not like it's 10 you're you're doing your own arrangements of already like 10 minute through composed 
stuff. The Masada rep is on the shorter side, which gives you more room to interpret it as well. So uh, I wanted to move on uh, to Code Girl. This is the, the project that is coming out very, very soon. And as we've discussed a little bit, uh, th this is one of Mary's new projects. And because it's the new group and it's the new album by the first group, it is self-titled. Self so this is the album Code Girl by Code Girl. And we've talked a little bit about how it's different. There's a vocalist and you're writing the lyrics. But backing up a little bit, uh, who are the musicians in the band and what drew you to working with them? So the singer is Amirtha Kadambi. And then I also have Ambrose Akinmuzuri on trumpet, uh, Michael Formanek on bass, and Toma Fujiwara on drums. Mm -hmm. um, and, I mean, the, the initial idea for doing this project for me was just thinking about the idea that I listen to a lot of music with uh, lyrics and vocals, and I don't play that much music mm. with lyrics and vocals, so it was sort of trying to explore that discrepancy or to see what it would be like to do my own take on that. And I've always written lyrics, you know, occasionally just, I, I enjoy working with words. I always really enjoy titling songs. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was sort of taking that a step further and, and trying to write a book of lyrics. Um, and I have done, I have also set lyrics to music before and always really enjoyed that process. Um, but this is the first time I had a, a dedicated singer where I, I was writing lyrics for that person. Yeah, and so can, um, we, can we go inside that process a little bit? You know, I, I, I certainly feel this way as a musician. You know, I, I, I am a... I, I love written word, I love spoken word, so to me, whenever I'm playing, I try to keep in mind the lyrics, and, and, you know, so I, I, I can certainly appreciate that and wanting to do something where you're, you're writing your own words, but, but that's sort of a tough thing, I mean, when you think about writing words and writing melodies for the words you've done, I mean, you know, I don't want to quite use the word singer-songwriter in, in this sort of global sense, but most often... You know, unless you know, but but there's all there's a lot of people who write their words to their own music. So what was it like for you writing your words and then having someone else sing it and working with her to figure out an interpretation or a way to do it that you both liked? I mean, it was it was a pretty cool process uh, because um, Amirtha is an incredible vocalist with a crazy range. Um, on her voice and also a crazy range of expression. Um, she's a great improviser. She, she has studied all different kinds of music and she's just a, a really unique singer. Um, and, you know, she really took the time to try to understand what these songs were about and get into the headspace of the songs. And she could do so much more with them than I could have if I was singing the songs. Um, <laughs> right. So it, was, it was really exciting. You know, it was exciting to kind of see how she took the material and, and how she interprets it. You know, we've played a bunch of gigs now and it's like every gig she's really singing it differently. I mean, she's, hmm. she's playing written parts, but she's also improvising so much and, um, around those parts. Yeah. So yeah, it's been great. I've, I've, I've been really enjoying it and it's, you know, it's a, pretty different than, than in my previous records. So it's also, it's, you know, it's nice to, Try some different stuff. Yeah, and can you tell us about uh, the record itself? You know, wh what are uh, like, and in, in the process of recording it. Well, I guess you know, it, I wrote the music probably over the course of a year, and I was I was enjoying it enough that I wrote a double album. So it, it's actually two CDs. It's a lot of music. 
Um, and we got together and rehearsed. We, we'd only done a couple gigs, really, at the time that we recorded it. Hmm. So we had a few days to, to just rehearse and get it together. And then we just went into the studio and did it. So it was all pretty new at the time when we recorded it. Um, but... Yeah, it was it was it was really intense. <laughs> I remember <laughs> I just remember being exhausted when it was over. Yeah. Um, but it yeah, it's the whole thing has been really interesting. And then you know now that we've been playing live shows, because like I said, we recorded the music pretty early on uh, in the process of the band. We hadn't done very many gigs at that point, so it's really growing and changing every night hmm. now in the live rendition, which has been cool to see. Yeah. Well, maybe uh, I don't want to like. This is not. You know, maybe maybe we can get a live album. That would be nice. I'm not saying you have to do that. This is no <laughs> announcement in any way. That would just be cool. Uh, well, Mary, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate. It. We got two more things left for you before we uh, ask you the track you want us to play off the Code Girl. I like to uh-huh. end all of my interviews with this. Uh, it is a very simple yet complicated question and whatever answer you would like to provide we'd really appreciate it do you have any advice for aspiring artists well you know i I think for me when i think of advice that was helpful for myself when i was in school and and starting out with music um which this comes directly from anthony braxton but that's okay (laughs) (laughs) Um, which, which is really like if you're not making mistakes there's a problem yes so just, you know, just there's no, and also that there's no rules, just, you know, you, it's still good to, to learn and to study and to really absorb a tradition and all that. But at the same time, it's important to spend some time throwing that all out the window. That's a good rule. Okay, Mary, thank you so much for your time. Is there any track you'd like us to play off a of code girl to write us out on this podcast? Um, well, let's see, maybe let's, Let's go ahead with the very first track, um, which is called My Mind I Find in Time. (laughs) Very good. Mary, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It is not. 
action is required.